Thank you, Pastor. I've had a wonderful time here this weekend getting to know some new friends. And uh, for the last 13 years, I've been somewhere in the world 250 days a year and home about 100 days. And I'm about to make a transition to flip those. So I'm home about 250 days and gone maybe 100 days. As you already heard, my wife and I, Marie, we met in church. Uh, she was 13, and I was 15. And uh, my father had been a pastor for many years, and he passed away, and so we started to attend another church. And uh, I saw her come in that Sunday night, her and her family. And mom and dad and all five kids came down, sat on the second seat, there in that church, I was playing a saxophone in the church orchestra, and I looked at her and quit playing for the rest of the night. That's pretty good. You got it. But her dad was a big guy. I mean, I shook hands with him and wondered where mine went. So... It took uh, seven more years to get her to the altar. And uh, I went off to war, Vietnam, 19, the fall of 1964, and came home in October of 1966. There was a rock and roll song real popular then because my wife was extremely popular in high school. She was out of a high school of 3,000 students, 900 in her graduating class. She was the number one dancer. Uh, she was on American Bandstand a number of times, and uh, she still loves to dance. And uh, she just switched partners. You know, if you love to dance, you don't have to stop dancing when you get saved. You just switch partners. Now, some churches, they can't handle that, but that's all right. We, we, uh, we put them in where this sign behind me, I was fascinated with this sign back here. Museum. And uh, if, if I was your pastor, I'd have to hang something over that sign when I came in. <laughs> Aren't you glad you're in the, huh? Oh, I know. Uh, you're ahead of me. You're, you're, you're sharp, April. <laughs> the, the museum's in there with the signs out here. Museums are things on display that people have created in the past. What God is wanting to do through this church and the things that he wants to create through you are yet to be determined. When you are ready for a museum, as a Christian, you're ready to check out of here because you've, you've outlived your usefulness. And, uh, you know, it's sad. Some people, they are worth more dead than alive. 
You know, when you're, more, when you're worth more dead than alive, God will take you home. So you're still here today. So that means God still has things for you to do. But it is an honor to be with you today. I thank God for you and the potential that God put in you. Every one of you. Now, I see some saints in here that are in my generation. Um, you're still in the game, all right? The car may not be going quite as fast, but the pedal better meet. The pedal better be to the metal, though. Tell my grandkids I have eight of those, and I have three great grandkids. And uh, I say, Pappy's not going quite as fast as he used to, but the pedal's still to the metal. I mean, I'm giving it all I've got. I hate the devil. what he's done to destroy the lives of people. And I want him up early every day, worried about what I'm going to do today. Because aren't you glad we can sing about lots of things? But it's not the singing, it's the doing. It's not just listening, but it's action. I'm going to the enemy's camp every day, and I'm taking back, first of all, what belongs to me and my family. I'm going to establish a little suburb of heaven wherever I go, because greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. We've got to become the 500-pound canary going down the alley calling, here, kitty, kitty, kitty. We need to be as bold as they were coming out of that upper room. You came in today, and I think everyone got a little yellow sticky note. I'd like you to take that out now, and I'm going to give you a one-sentence prayer that I'd like you to write on that. Now, what you do with it after today is between you and God. But what I want to share with you this morning is related to this little yellow sticky note. And it's this one-sentence prayer. Lord, Help me be sensitive. Help me be sensitive to those you put in my life today. Lord, help me be sensitive to those you put in my life today. My wife and I now have been doing this for almost 35 years. And I can't tell you how many divine appointments that we've had through the years. You know, the Bible says that every day of our life was planned before we were even born. This day was not an accident for me or you. 
I'm here today by divine appointment. And I trust that you are too. That you're not here just simply because it's Sunday and you're supposed to go to church. People ask me all the time, do you go to church? I say, I am the church. Where do you want me to go? That's the purpose of the coming of the Holy Spirit in the upper room. Jesus said, I must go away because I'm limiting what I can do through you. But if I go away, there's coming one like unto me, and he shall live inside of you. I've lived with you, but he's going to live in you. Aren't you glad that God lives in you today? Then we need to act like it. We need to talk like it, like our brother prophesied through music this morning. Why talk like a victim when you are a victor? Why talk like a loser when you are a winner? I told the staff yesterday, I love everyone, but I barely love losers. Losers aren't people, they're attitudes. If I see two doodle bugs racing, I'm going to step on one and cheer for the other one because I love a winner. Don't you love a winner? That's why you must love your neighbor as who? Yourself. You cannot love your neighbor if you see yourself as a loser. You can't see yourself as a conqueror if you see yourself as a victim. Well, I'm only a one, I'm not a ten. It doesn't matter whether you're a one or you're a ten. As long as the one lives in you, you can say to this mountain, Be thou moved and cast into the sea. Okay. I hate to lose. And so God wants you to go out every day as his ambassador with a winning attitude. And whatever mountain stands in your way, you say, get out of my way. I'm coming through. I don't care whether you're flipping hamburgers at McDonald's or you're checking people out at Walmart or you're a president of a Fortune 500 company. We all have the same king. We all have the same God living inside of us you have your bibles today my text is in john chapter 4 i was uh in south africa about eight years ago now and i was sharing all day with about 300 leaders in a suburb of johannesburg about half of them were church leaders and half of them were marketplace ministers. And I had a Q&A session about all around 4 o'clock the end of the day and I had been going all day long and I was getting kind of loopy anyhow but 
one young man, he said, can I ask you a question? If you could only have one quality in people who serve with you on your leadership team, whatever it is, whether it's in the business world and I've owned companies and I've led churches and people say, well, how could you run a church and run a company at the same time? I say, I didn't run anything. That's why you hire managers. Okay, if you're running things, you're not a leader, you're a manager. And we need good ones. But you need to figure out which one you are. God has called us to be leaders, to create things that are not. You see a sinner, what do you see? A sinner? Or do you see a new creation in Christ Jesus? So anyhow, I'm trying to think of some profound answer to give this young man, and nothing was coming except this story that I'd heard a number of years ago. It was about this bird that got a late start flying south for the winter. Now, you have to live up where I do to really understand this story. It gets cold up there. When I get home tonight, it'll be around 20 degrees, which is a warm-up from what we've had for the last six weeks when it barely made it into double digits. But the bird got a late start, and he froze up flying somewhere over a cow pasture in Nebraska or Kansas and fell into that cow pasture. And he's laying there all froze up and thinking, what a way to die. I mean, if, if birds could kick themselves, I would kick myself for getting such a late start, and now I'm going to die in this cow pasture. But about that time, a cow came by and made a deposit on him. And he thought, I mean, this is not getting better. It's going from bad to worse. And not only am I froze up, going to die in this cow pasture, but now this happens to me. But in about 30 seconds, he realized it was warm. And he began to thaw out and began to stretch a little bit. And he thought, I just might make it after all. And he got so happy that he was going to make it, he began to sing. And a fox came by and dug him out and ate him. Now this is the secret to life. Now while I'm telling this story, I'm still trying to think of something to tell this young man some profound truth about somebody that works with me. There are three lessons in this story that really sum up life. Not everybody who dumps on you is your enemy. Not everybody who digs you out is your friend. But most of all, when you're going through the stuff, sometimes it just pays to keep your mouth shut. So after I finished that story, the Lord dropped a thought in my heart. He said, what you want more than anything else in those 
that work closely with you is awareness. Awareness. And through the years, those who work with me closely have to be aware of three things. It's not my message, it's a warm-up. It's always longer than the actual game. I want those who work closer with me to be aware of three things. One, I want them to be aware of where they are in their relationship with our God. Their relationship. Number two, I want them to be aware of where they are in their relationship to me as their leader. I do not like secrets and I don't like surprises with those that I work with. One of my grandkids heard me preach one time and said on the way home, Pappy, don't, don't you like surprises? I said, I used to. Again, you have to be in our generation to really get this, but I don't like surprises anymore. I've had a lot. I've had plenty. I kind of like things that when I go around this bin, I know what I'm going to see. I know what I'm going to find. That's why I really enjoy being a father now, not a warrior anymore. Because I can help the, the young warriors. Listen, if you keep going down this path, here's what you're going to find. How do you know, been there? But you might be the exception. So you go get them, tiger. You go for it. It's what I call taking the 100-yard dash in a 90-yard gym. You go, though. You might, you might be the one to break through that barrier down there. God bless you. I don't think you will. But you go ahead. But I don't like secrets. I don't like people that work close with me to have things in their heart that they haven't shared with me. You're not going to share everything. There's only one person that you share everything, or you should because he knows everything. My wife and I dated four years. We'll be married 50 years, June 28th. It's 52 years. I know a lot about her, but I'm still opening doors because she said, you're not getting in here yet. She never called me when we were dating in four years, never once. Now, that's changed, hasn't it? Why? Because back then, girls didn't do that. You didn't call guys. Let me drop something in here. The fruit that you have to climb for is still a lot sweeter than what falls at your feet.
the day we were getting married, she had her sister call me because she wanted me to know something. That night in the hotel room, I said, why didn't you call me? We were getting married in five hours. She said, we weren't married yet. But that's different than having somebody that you're not married to. You're working together as a team. I want them to be aware of where they are with the Father, our Father. I want them to be aware of where they are in their relationship with me. No secrets, no surprises. And third, I want them to be aware of where they are with each member on their team. I've been in a lot of football huddles, and, and I've heard a number of quarterbacks say to a guard or tackle, did you even say hello to that guy that blew through here and put me on my back? I mean, really ragging on his line who's supposed to defend him. And I've heard some of the guard and tackle say, hey, you think that was quick that last time. I won't even say hello the next time he comes in here. I'm doing the best I can. Call a different play. You get on a good team, there, there are no secrets. There are no surprises. We're not enemies. We're fighting the enemy. My brother and I used to beat up on each other mercilessly. You let the neighbor boy come in. Oh, now you. I just were beating on him. And the neighbor boy comes in. What do you. Oh, no, you don't have a right to get in this fight. Uh uh, this is my brother. We're, we're brothers. I can tell you the devil's going to do everything he can to interfere and drive a wedge in every relationship, whether it's your husband, your wife, parents and children, employers, employees, leaders and teams, no matter where it is. And that's why awareness. And in my text today, in John chapter 4, you that have been in church have trifocals, so I have to, you know, you know the story in the beginning of the Samaritan woman. Jesus said, you guys go wherever you need to go. I, I've, I have to go to Samaria. So in verse 5, he came to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near a plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. 
For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was who says to you, Give me drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where, then, do you get that living water? Are you greater than our fathers, our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered and said to her, Whosoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whosoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband. Come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one that, whom you have now is not your husband, in that you have spoken truly. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where we ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. At this point, now the disciples come back into the picture. And they marveled that he was talking with a woman. Yet no one had the guts to ask him. What are you doing talking to a woman, much less a Samaritan woman? No secrets, no surprises. The woman left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men. Why did she go to the men first? Because she knew wherever the men go, the women will follow. At least that was her experience. Work for Marie. I followed her everywhere. Because <laughs> I had a goal. Okay? Every girl wants a husband who will put her on a pedestal. If you don't put your wife on a pedestal, where do you have her? Okay. 
God will give you climbing boots. You can get up the pedestal. <laughs> this must be for somebody today because it keeps coming back. <laughs> Said to the men, come see a man who told me all things I ever did. Could this be the Christ? In the meantime, and they went out of the city and came to him. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore, the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do not say there are still four months, then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look to the fields. For they are already white unto harvest, and he who reaps wages receives wages, and he gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he and who sows, and who he reaps may rejoice together. For in this saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that which for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the woman of the word of the woman they came because of the word of the woman there are people in tifton georgia who are not going to be here until you tell them you tell them god's not going to write it in the sky he's not going to send an angel he's going to send you and he puts you among them every day of your life and that's why if you put this up where you can see it, and you pray that prayer among everything else you ask God for or tell God. Say this, Lord, help me be sensitive to those you're going to put in my life today. I guarantee you they're there. And you have been empowered by God to tell them. And when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed for two days, and many more believed because of his own word. So they came because of her word. They believed because of his word. See, how attractive is Jesus in you to others? You don't have to try to make yourself attractive. Just make him attractive through you. For, believe, for unbelievers, it's beauty on the outside. That's what attracts. But it doesn't last. Some of the most naturally beautiful people are in Hollywood who are working on their seventh and eighth marriage. Why? Because outward beauty attracts, but it does not sustain my wife, when she turned 60, thought the world had come to an end. She gained all of five pounds our whole married life. On our 20th anniversary, she went up in the closet because we were going to renew our vows on our 20th wedding anniversary, and she came down wearing her wedding gown and said, what are you going to wear? <laughs> I said, something with a lot of elastic. Because I had gained 100 pounds. 
since we got married. Four years ago, I decided to lose it, and I've lost 90. They keep charging. <laughs> you know, they, they charge you now for extra baggage on the airline, so I just thought I'd leave one at home. You know, she came down in that wedding gown here about three weeks ago because she's going to wear it on our 50th. See, Oh, I had a goal. I had a mission, and I needed her to help. Let me just give you what I wrote down this morning. May not be the greatest, but it's the latest. And God gave it to me for you. Jesus saw an opportunity, a divine appointment, but the disciples saw a need to satisfy a physical desire. Jesus saw an opportunity, and the disciples had a desire to fulfill the flesh. There's nothing wrong with that, but it wasn't the eating. It was the disciples. If they would have stayed with him, they could have saw how he worked. Second, Jesus satisfied someone else's need before his own. Third, the disciples saw a woman with a bad reputation, but Jesus saw an evangelist that could change an entire village. Verse 39, many believed because of what the woman said. In verse 42, now they believe because of what he said. Opportunities are everywhere, but you must be sensitive to what the Holy Spirit is saying. At that moment, you can see a thousand things as opportunities every day, or you can see nothing. I'm talking about a spirit man. I'm talking about your regenerated, your regenerated spirit that was made alive when you came to Christ. And he changed that dead spirit in you and made it alive again. And that's why you can sense things that others can't. You can be in a room full of people, or you can be in a factory or a corporate headquarters and see opportunities as divine appointments. Too many spend their whole lives solving problems and never recognize the opportunities. But growth only comes from exploiting opportunities by building on the gifts and talents that God gave you. Not solving problems alone, but exploiting the opportunities that are there, but they can be gone in a moment. Clear your heart and mind from the things that you can't control and focus on things that God has, you, has given you the power and authority to change. The enemy comes every day with all kinds of distractions. Marketers know they must get you distracted from what you're focusing on now to something else. 
Jesus knew the woman was coming. He knew exactly what to say. He knew what she was going to say. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now lives in you. Everything that he can do, you can do. And he said, even greater things can you do. One of life's greatest disappointments is seeing an opportunity and not acting on it. But a far greater tragedy is to lose an opportunity and not realize it was ever there. Why did Jesus have so many divine appointments and opportunities and his disciples seem to have few, if any? I think it's because they weren't aware, but Jesus knew what was going to happen in a few days. He was going away, and he was going to empower them with the Holy Spirit. Listen, if you're born again today and you're filled with the Spirit of the living God, especially those of us who are Pentecostal Christians, we say we have the unfair advantage. We say we have the little extra edge. We say we have... We kind of look down our nose at Christians who don't have what we have. We preach the full gospel. Well, you just wrote off those Christian friends. No, when you get out there in the marketplace, it's not what congregational brand you carry. It's not your theology and doctrine out there that's going to bring us together. It's one thing and one thing only, and that is, is Jesus Lord of your life. Do you understand why he came to this earth and what he did and what the expectations are now because of what he did? I want to give you three keys. First, you must believe that all of heaven's power and authority resides in you. If you don't believe that, you won't step out in faith. Don't you, don't you love to hear testimonies about people who've done great exploits for God and wish, oh, I wish I had a testimony. Listen, when I was preaching on the Bourbon Street during the height of the Mardi Gras on Fat Tuesday, anybody ever been to Mardi Gras? It's okay. I mean, you've either been there as a heathen or you've been there as a Christian. It's a totally different experience. But I remember one year preaching on Fat Tuesday. My first year went with a radical street preacher by the name of Denny Nisley. His ministry is Christ in action. Jesus laid down his little sweet head and so much more. So Denny couldn't wait to get me on the SWAT team and throw me in the deep end on Fat Tuesday. Went down there with 17 other guys. Jack Snow played tight end for the Detroit Lions. Was on the team. He was a big guy, and I was sure glad he was coming. There were other guys. And so what ha we had a 14-foot cross that we just carried up and down Bourbon Street, up and down Bourbon Street. 600,000 people packed into the French Quarter. And they didn't like Christians very well. And so here we are, carrying a cross, somebody carrying a battery-powered speaker on their head, and the, and the person who was preaching at the time walked behind them 
and then they circled us to keep the heathens from doing damage. And uh, we get down in front of Big Daddy's, the largest gay bar to world, uh, in the world at that time. It was a warm New Orleans evening. So the doors were wide open. Then he turns to me and he said, David, it's your turn to preach. Now, I knew better than to walk into the devil's playground without fasting and praying, and so I went on a 40-day fast, and this was the 40th day that we went. And I said, Lord Jesus, if you ever help me, now would be a good time. The Logos isn't going to do it. I need some rhema. And boy, the power of God came and enveloped me. And I began to share, couldn't you remember half of what I was saying? You know how it is when the anointing and the word is coming up out of here and it's not coming out of there. And, and I saw a big, tall, straggly, ugly-looking guy clear in the back of that bar. And the spirit of the devil in him identified the spirit of the Lord in me about the same time. And he came charging through that bar, out onto the sidewalk, leaped up over, tried to get to me. Three times they threw him off. The fourth time, his face is about a foot from mine. And I turned and I said, in the name of Jesus, devil, you come out of that young man and let him go. He dropped like a rag to the street. Now, if you're ever there, you know the crowd is bumper to bumper, if, if you don't, when, you, when the crowd moves, you move. When it stops, you stop unless you get up on the sidewalk. But I, I felt a draw from behind me. And I turned, and as I turned, the crowd parted. There was a young couple sitting on the sidewalk. Bourbon Street down there is not probably as wide as this auditorium. And the spirit of prophecy came on me. I said, young man, you're a backslidden preacher's kid. You came to Mardi Gras to run from God and to party and try to cover up the call that God has on your life, but he loves you so much that he sent me tonight to tell you that he loves you. And all you have to do is repent and come back to him tonight, and he'll get you where you need to be. He hit the street with his hands in the air. I said, young lady, I don't know if you're his wife or his girlfriend, but God has the same call on your life. And both of them on that street with their hands in the air and tears coming down their cheeks. Why? Because me? No. The gift of God in me. And he lives in you. If you confessed him as Lord and Savior, then... You don't have to be obnoxious. Just let him leak out every once in a while. And if the stream is received, then open up the well and let it gush from you. Number two, you must lift your eyes to the fields to see the divine appointments. Too many Christians just lift their voice in praise. And they lift their hearts in prayer, but they never lift their eyes to the fields. It's great to lift your heart in prayer, and it's great to lift your voice in praise. But why do we do that? So that we can lift our eyes to see the divine appointments that are there. Let me give you one more story, and then I want to 
share God's declaration of destiny for your town. A number of years ago, I went into a restaurant in Bridgman, Michigan, which is right on Lake Michigan, on the east coast of Michigan. You may know where Bridgman is. It's a little town in between, uh, what's the, uh, St. Joe and, and uh, really Indiana. And I was in there with two ministers uh, getting ready to talk to them about using their camp facility in Bridgman. We t Ray and I took inner city kids to camp for 32 years and uh, provided a week for them. And this is the first time I wanted to use their facility. And so I met them for breakfast in, in this little restaurant there. And the waitress came up to the table, and she kind of threw the menus down, threw the silverware down, said, I'll be back to get your order. You could tell she wasn't happy that day. She was not having a good day. And so when she came back, we gave her our order, and then when she brought it back, I said, Kathy, you seem to be struggling today with something. Is there anything that we can pray with you about. We're going to bless our food, but we, we want to pray for you. Is there anything that we can pray with you about? And she said, you pray in a restaurant? I said, pray everywhere. You know, my God owns everywhere. So why wouldn't I pray anywhere he owns? I said, Kathy... I said, when I pray, things happen. What can I pray with you about? And tears began to come down her cheeks. And she said, my, my boy is in prison in Franklin, Tennessee. I said, just south of Nashville? She said, yes. I said, what happened? Well, he stole everything I had to support his drug habit. And then he started writing hot checks. And the Michigan State Police put a warrant out for him. And he ran to Tennessee and got a little girl pregnant. He started stealing from her dad, and her dad turned him in, and he's in prison now. I said, you know, Kathy, I just happened to be going through Franklin, Tennessee next week, a week from today on my way to Gaston, Alabama to preach. Divine appointments. I said, uh, I'd be glad to stop in and visit with him. She said, you can't get in. I said, why not? He's in on drug charges. I'm the only one that can get in. I said, I'm on a mission from God. I can get in anywhere. And that's more than a line from the Blues Brothers. She said, you can't get in. I said, Kathy, give me his name. She said, his name is Kyle Mensinger. But you can't get in. I said, I'll get in. A week later, I walk into that prison, walk up to the guard behind that big heavy plexiglass, and I said, uh, I I'm here to see Kyle Menziger. Could I please see him? She said, sir, do you have an appointment? I said, no, ma'am, I don't, but I'd like to see him, please. She said, sir, you just can't walk in here and ask to see somebody. He's here on federal drug charges. I said, I understand. See, they teach you in sales to shake your head yes and smile, right? Don't they? Okay. I'm trying to sell her now. Did that to Marie a lot. <laughs> See, it helps when you smile and 
shake your head yes when you're telling people about Jesus rather than have a frown on your say, face and say, if you don't change, you're going to split hell wide open. You know, I mean, there's a much better way to share the love of Jesus than critique their immoral behavior. Let the Holy Spirit critique their immoral behavior. You just share the love of Jesus. And I say, I understand. I'm, folks, I'm not leaving. This is not a coincidence. I'm there on divine appointment. I'm not going anywhere. They're going to have to haul me out if I leave. I said, I understand. But, it, you know, I met his mom a week ago today. Prayed with her in a little restaurant where she's a waitress. She's really concerned about her son, and I promised her I'd stop and see him. So I'd like to see him, please. She looks down at that board. She looks back at me about four or five times. And finally, she says, sir, you see those set of locked doors over there? You go through that set of locked doors. Go through two more sets of locked doors. Go into the room on the left, and we'll bring him to you. I'm walking away from her, realizing she doesn't even know my name. She, didn't, she doesn't have an ID. She has nothing. I go through three sets of locked doors, go under the room on the left, and they bring him in his orange jumpsuit. And for 45 minutes, I share the love of Jesus with him, prayed with him. He accepted the Lord. I said, Kyle, do you have a, a Bible? He says, no. I said, well, I have a few out in the truck. Let me go get you one. And so I go back through three sets of locked doors. As I'm going out, he says, I, do you have any of those easy-to-read kind? I said, yeah, I have a, I have a, I, I don't know if it was NIV or New Living Translation, whatever it was, but I said, I have one of those, I'll get that. So I go through three sets of locked doors, I wave to the guard, I said, I got to get something out of my truck, I'll be right back. I mean, I could have been bringing drugs, I could have been bringing guns, who knows? I come back in. I said, I'll be finished in a few minutes. None of this was planned. And I wouldn't suggest that you go down to the state pen. And one of the mistakes we make as Christians is that we think because it worked one time, it's going to work every time. Because it worked for one person, it's going to work for every person. God is far more creative than that. Oh, I thank God for divine appointments. But... I want to close this morning by sharing this with you. You know, I've lived in Chicago since 79, over half of my life. And, and you all know the song that, or one of the songs that Frank Sinatra wrote about Chicago. Anybody remember? Anybody remember? Chicago, Chicago, my kind of town. I was driving one day thinking about that and as I was flipping stations he was singing that and it hit me I said that's not his town God Chicago's your town and this is what came and so I want you to insert Tifton for Chicago We believe our city is God's kind of town. He died for our city on the cross. When he took his last breath, he thought of our city. When he emerged victorious from the tomb, he did so for our city. He had our city on his mind when he sent his disciples to the far reaches of the world. 
He is coming for the citizens of our city who await his return, who have pledged allegiance beyond the limits of our city to his eternal city and everlasting kingdom. In the meantime, we are called to a great task. We reach our city one soul at a time. It's not an easy assignment, but doable with his grace and power. Our city is a battleground, not a playground. It's a city the enemy has staked out as his territory. We now declare God's intent and our destiny for the city we love and are called to serve. We will not allow the enemies of our God and King to have one more inch of our city. We are here to declare victory and open her up as an outpost of God's eternal kingdom. Our city has been, our church has been called to open up deaf ears to the good news of the gospel. We have been summoned to open up prison doors for spiritual captives. We have been ordered by our king to open up our arms to people of all races. We have been commanded to open our hearts to the poor, the needy, and the suffering. We are in this city to open up the word of God to the spiritually ignorant. We are here to open up the hearts of all Christians for evangelism and encouragement. We have been commissioned to build the altar of our God in the center of our government, our educational institutions, and the marketplace. We believe this is God's intent and our destiny, but we cannot do it alone or in our own strength. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Thus, we declare our intent to seek God until he visits our church in our city again with a fresh Pentecostal outpouring that adds to his church daily. We open our ears and our hearts to hear the voice of God and his message for our generation. We open our dusty prayer closets to seek his face as never before. We open our schedules to divine appointments that he brings us every day. We open our wallets and purses to sow seeds that bring an eternal harvest. We pray for a fresh wind of the Holy Spirit to blow through our lives, our church, and our city. Blow away anything that hinders the full expression of God's demonstrated love for our city. Blow away anything, Lord, that stops and hinders your love for our people. Heavenly Father, our city is your kind of town. In the mighty name of, our, of your Son, we declare war against Satan and sin. We are not here to engage in a skirmish or retreat after a single battle, but to do war until you come back. Fill us with your Spirit. Empower us by your Word. Dress us with your divine honor. Armor, we are poised within our city to strike upon your command. Make bare your mighty arm on our behalf, and we shall present our city to you as a jewel for your everlasting crown on that day, the great day of the Lord. Can we say amen? God bless you, Pastor. Thank you, Lord. Come on, stand to your feet. Lord, thank you. We receive it right now in Jesus' name. Mm. Hebrews chapter 11 is the hall of faith. And as you're reading through this, he begins to list and testify to the testimonies of faith. And he gets to Abraham, and he's got a rhythm going. 
And he says, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And when he went out, not knowing where he would go, where he would go, by faith he dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. He interrupts this flow. Writing has a flow. It has a rhythm. It has a cadence to it. And he's got this cadence by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. But without faith, it's impossible. By faith, by faith, by faith. For he waited for the city which foundations, whose builder and maker is God. That's our city. That's where we are. The very thing that he waited for is the very thing that we are possessing. What he's talking about, what he talked about this morning is about possessing the land. He said he would drive out the inhabitants of the land before we got there. But he wouldn't do it all at once. Why? Because by the time we get to that part of the possession process, it would have been taken over by wild beasts and overcome. No, he's got a plan. He's got a schedule. He's got steps. He's got a cadence. He's got a cadence. He's got a rhythm to what he's doing. He's got a cadence. He's got a rhythm. Are we going to get in that rhythm? Are we going to get in the rhythm? Come on. Are we going to get in that rhythm of what he's doing? It's you. Come on, clap your hands. Come on, get in rhythm. It's a cadence. He's getting us in the rhythm. Whose foundation, the city, whose foundation, whose maker, whose builder is God? Are you part of that cadence? Are you part of that rhythm? Come on, it's your choice to get in that rhythm. It's your choice to get in step. It's your choice to step into that place. It's your choice to recognize that you are an ambassador. See, it's easy. And then you've got, you've got to stay in rhythm. Come on. The kingdom of God lives in you. That's what he said. The kingdom of God is not you. It's the kingdom of God in you. It's a rhythm. It's the cadence. When you leave here today, you're going to be encountered with people because we all prayed it. We all confessed it. You're going to get encounters with people. Their divine appointments. The cadence that's in you. The kingdom that's in you. The kingdom that's in you. You believe it? You believe that what he did in that prison, you could do the same thing? You believe that what happened with that with the, uh, with the waitress, you believe that will happen to you? You believe the same thing? Pay attention. It's not about this dramatic. All he said was, it seems like you're having a pretty crappy day. Can we pray for you? That's it. 
the divine connections to the homeless people or just someone reaching out. Can we help you? That's it. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for what you have imparted, what you've deposited in us. We declare this is our, this is your city and we are simply your ambassadors of the kingdom of God. We decide, we choose to say we are vessels that carry the essence, the power, and the glory of the kingdom of God to everywhere we go. We are the church. And where we go, we are establishing a suburb of the kingdom of God. Thank you, Lord. Mr. Don. Thank you. Now listen, he didn't come. He has not come here with any expectation. He said, I don't charge anything to come. All I ask is that you make a donation to his missions ministry that goes all over the world. And so what we want to do... Is as well as take up our normal tithes and offers, we want to give you the opportunity to partner with that and to do that with Him. So the envelope, if you want to write out, just make your checks payable to One Love City Church, and on the bottom, you can just put, for the coach, and we'll know that's what you're designating, for the coach, anything else is fine. Just put on there, for the coach. If you want to put it in the envelope, put cash in the envelope, whatever, and put for the coach. And we're going to sow that into the, his ministry, the missions ministry that goes all over the world. So I'm going to pray over it. And then we're just going to dismiss and I'm going to let you come and give that. Let you come and thank him, welcome him. Come on, one more time. Let's stand up. Let's honor the man of God, Brother David. Thank you for coming. Lord, thank you for his ministry. Thank you for what he's done. Thank you for what you're doing. Father, we, we bring our tithes and offerings to you this morning in honor and say thank you for what you've given us. This is just simply our way of demonstrating and expressing our heart back to you. We thank you for it. Come on, one more time. Let's get in cadence. Let's get in rhythm. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen, amen. I've got a testimony that I want to share with everyone. And at first I said, no, I'm not going to do it, but it's, it's like, I got to do it. I got to do it now. August of 2008, of 16, I got into a rollover car accident. Rolled four times, came out without a with just one scratch. And I was like, just one scratch, window busted. You know, you, I kept saying, it was nobody but God, and my family's like, nobody but God. And I'm like, yeah, nobody but God. But I still second-guessed everything in my life. My faith still wasn't as strong. Um, I was still stressed out every day and worried about 
things, my vehicle, how am I going to get to work? Um, the funny thing is I bought some fruits and I asked the police, I said, are my fruits okay? He's like, no, you can buy more fruits. Um, so then in June of 2017, a day after Father's Day, I was asleep in my bed. My kids were asleep. Four men entered our home, had guns to our heads, threatened the lives of my children. <laughs> and I prayed the whole time, and, and they're there telling me, there's no sense in praying now. I just kept praying. That very next Sunday, I came to church, and I met all of you, and I prayed and I cried. And I knew then that I was meant to be there because April said that the enemy came to kill, steal, and destroy. And then as well, as for about five years, I've been dealing with um, something with my cervix, cancer spots here, several biopsies, several surgeries. I got tired of going to the doctor. I got tired of being disappointed. And of course, after the break-in, my main concern was to make my house safe for my children and for me. So I spent every paycheck on cameras and alarm systems, on every window and on everything, just anything that I felt safe with for my children. Well, I stopped going to the doctor because I got tired of being disappointed. I got tired of giving bad news. So I was afraid to go and I stopped. And then I started going back and of course I was more disappointed and I was still stressed and I was still sad and everybody's pray, 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 pray. And it's like, I'm praying. What more do I need to do? I'm praying. It was like, you know, um, go to church. <laughs> Anyhow, of course, as like I said, I was struggling and then I started, I was like, take a loan here, take a loan there. All that does is make you struggle more because you got to pay more. Well, Monday, I went to the mailbox, opened the mail. I normally throw stuff away, and I looked at it. I was like, a trust company? I didn't put anything in a trust fund, or, you know, I didn't put anything up that I'm aware of. I opened it, and it said warehouse furniture. I worked for Farmer's Furniture. Farmer's Furniture has this part where, um, if you're full-time, a part of that company belongs to you. It's like a stock. Um, and if you leave, from what I was told was that they split your stock. They don't give that to you because you weren't there 10 years. Well, that was a lie <laughs> because that was my money. <laughs> and I called them and I said, what is this? I'm not aware. I, I didn't do it. She was like, no, you did it. Your job did um, after you left. That was $1,700. <laughs> And last Sunday, I was stressed. I was like, how am I going to pay this? How am I going to do this? And I finally said, when I woke, left church, I finally said, I'm not going to worry about it. If they take it, they take it. If they cut it off, they cut it off. I have family. I have friends. I'm not going to worry about it. So then that came, and I paid bills. Yeah. <laughs> I paid my bills. Yeah. Also on Monday, because um, last week, I said, I have to go to the doctor. I got my insurance, do it. And I had made the final decision that if it was 
still there that I was just going to go ahead and remove it. Just take the whole cervix away. <laughs> it's gone. <laughs> and I don't have to stress and I don't have to worry. It's gone. And I want to thank One Love City Church and April and Lawrence and everyone in here for making this feel like home. For, um, when I came, I was like, oh, I don't want everybody looking. Why is this lady crying? She just walked through the door. <laughs> Nobody had to say anything to me. I just cried the minute I walked through the door. And I cry every day, <laughs> every Sunday when I walk through these doors. <laughs> but now I know that my faith and my strength and my belief in God is a whole lot more than where it was back then. And um, I just want to thank y'all. Thank you. Why don't you, why don't you pray? Dis, dismiss this for the second time. Why don't you pray over anyone who's struggling with fear and anyone who's got finances in stress, and then we'll be dismissed. You pray. Come on. Lay your hands. Stretch your hands for Listen, he just said in John chapter 4, it says that they heard her. They heard her. They didn't hear him. They heard her testimony. Y'all got to come see what God did for me. He healed me. He delivered me. He gave me the $1,700. He paid for it and set them free. Lord, I want you to help anyone and everyone who is dealing with fear don't let the fear consume you don't let it take over you step forward and do what it is that you need to do whether you are afraid or not whether it's good news that you receive in the end or bad news just keep going just keep praying do not be afraid yes. do not be afraid Fear is something that will hold you down and keep you back from what is your purpose and what, are, what you're meant to do and believe. Let go of that fear and do what I did, just pray. Yes. Lord, I ask that you remove the fear, the stress, the worries, the doubts of everyone in here and all over the world and to let them know that you are here. You are a living God. Yes. And you do miracles every day. Yes. <laughs> Thank y'all.